Hello, and welcome to Life Lessons from a Total Failure, the podcast, a show that shares stories from passionate people living life on their own terms, and one that reminds us how life's failures and struggles are just the plot twists needed in our own personal stories to help us get to where we were meant to be. I'm your host, MJ Doherty. Well, I am back to podcasting after a two-month hiatus, and I'm really excited to get back into it. Uh, took some time getting some people booked and really uh, researching what you guys want to hear. And I have a guest today whose name is Eric Wachowski. And I really wanted to have him on because this guy chose to be in a field that I think is probably one of the hardest things to be, and he is a comic. So I'm really excited to have him in because I'm sure he has some stories to tell. So Eric, thank you so much for coming. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so you're a comic, which means you literally get up in front of people and try to make them laugh, right? Yeah, you get up and just have everybody judge you right out of the gates. Right. That's it. That's Especially in L.A., it's like, prove it to me, you know? And it's got to be something that takes a while to be able to withstand, because you have to have a thick skin, right? You have to have very thick skin, and you have to have a very short memory, because every night's different. Um, and especially starting out, I mean, the majority of the time, you're not going to do well. And like I said, out here in L.A., a lot of the times people aren't giving you the benefit of the doubt because they've seen every one man show of their friends. They've been to every bringer show of everybody that wants to be a comic um, and everybody has an opinion. Right. But this is why I thought you'd be a perfect, perfect guest, because the kind of the the moral of your story is lots of failure till your success. Right. It's oh, trial and error. Trial you, and error. I and, mean, I, I don't think there's. <laughs> Any truer sign of failure than like the immediate reaction to what you're saying and seeing it bomb. I can't even imagine how awful. All right. So before we get into that, yeah. why don't we do a little backstory on Eric? Tell me where you're from, you know, how, what you're like as a kid. Were you always a funny guy? What'd you go to school for? All that stuff. Let us know. Um, originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Amazing city. Love, yeah. love Milwaukee. Um, so I'm a simple uh, farm boy from Wisconsin. Uh, growing up. I actually like hated attention and which makes this completely ridiculous or absolutely the right reason while I'm doing it. Um, I was always kind of like the quiet, subtle person, but I really enjoyed just the science behind comedy and people that had the ability to be out there and just put themselves out there to make somebody laugh, be the butt of the joke. And I always admired that. And I think as I got older and I got a little bit more confidence in me, I'm like, this is what I want to do. So were you growing up, were you that annoying kid that was always like, I'm so funny, I'm so funny? No. Were you that guy? Not at all, which is... You weren't the class clown. I was was the troublemaker. Like, it's like teachers love me, but I would get away with jokes because I did well, but then I was a smartass at the same time. And they were probably smart, smart humor, not like stupid humor. Yeah, I'd pick my spots. And in a weird way, I guess... I was never like the popular kid. I was somewhere in the middle. It's like I kind of got along with everybody. So I like to attack the bullies because they picked on the nerds. And right. At the same time, I like being part of the nerds because I thought their character was so interesting and so fun. Right. And if you can make those kids laugh, it's like, okay, this is great. Like I'm getting along with everybody. I'm playing to every crowd. Which makes you a pretty well-developed person, and especially when you want to go on to figure out how to be funny and how to um, – appeal to a lot of people that certainly helped it did being in the middle and seeing the whole spectrum seeing the whole spectrum but at the same time as you go through it i mean nobody really encourages you to be a funny kid you know right or especially growing up in milwaukee everybody's you know very simple and 
if you're a little bit too out there, it's kind of like reeling back in, become more normal, become more. Right. Like, you know, you, you got to settle down or you, you, have yeah. to, you have to be on the straight and narrow. And yeah. I thought, kind of stuff. you know, like you're supposed to be in sports and get good grades. Right. And that kind of, I mean, to flash things forward, like I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison thinking I'd be a dentist. And I remember being two years into it and I'm like, Whoa. I hate all of this. Like I'm getting B's in OCHEM, but I'm only doing it to make people happy. Well, and this is what I was going to ask you. Yeah. So when you were in high school, you weren't like, I'm going to go to school because I'm going to be a comic. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I remember the first laugh I ever had. I went out for a school play because my fourth grade teacher, who was like a huge influence on me, was like, you need to do it. And I remember I improvised the line in between it, and it just got the biggest laugh out of the entire show. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is, this is what it's all about right here. And, and as a side note, I met, I've only met Eric maybe twice, but I really met him a couple months ago when he came over to do um, a shoot for a friend who was doing a, a sizzle reel for something. And I watched him and was so impressed because he came in with this two lines from this guy that he was supposed to be with the backstory. And he improvised the stuff that he said and did in that two minutes was so funny. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, he was just, it was just so witty and, and out there. And that is such a talent and such a skill. Uh, I appreciate that. So when uh, you got that first uh, laugh from your, your improvisation, you knew that that stirred something. Yeah. It stirred something. I'm like, can you do this? And that's when SNL came to my life and Chris Farley was just popping off on SNL at that same exact time and being a Wisconsin guy, I'm like, okay, him, what is that? How do you do that? Um, and that snowballed into like research on the second city, which I ended up graduating in the conservatory and iOS, the improv Olympic, which I also went through their program. Um, and just get, becoming a part of that community and realizing, oh, this is how you do it. And this can be a career. Fascinating. Okay, but first you went to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And you were I did. Be a dentist. Yeah, I was. I was. I was. I was thinking I was going to be a dentist. Well, it was a weird time, like um, to go into like failures of it. Like I lost my dad the year before I got to college, and at that time it's like, okay, take all the money that you have in your family and cut it in half. You know, right. and I'm like, okay, now I need to be the breadwinner of a family. So let's put all of these ideas of being fun to the side and let's go do something that we can support the family with. That's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Talk about life changing when you are not really it's, it's ready like, or wanting it. And exactly at the right, wrong the wrong moment where it's wrong like time. you're doing a huge transition in your life from high school to college. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of it, it's like, okay, Madison, Milwaukee, two hours. But at the same time, you're like, my mom's sad. My sister's still living here. Yeah. Can I leave? You know, that's awful. how can I go away and ditch these people at this time? But you know, you just, but you still have to live your life for yourself. You do. I mean, when it that's happened, a tough one. I mean, with failure, I think when my dad died, I was like, okay, it was the first realization of life is very, very short Yeah. and you can't live with regret. And I know he did. And I'm like, I'm never going to go out the way he did with that regret. Right. Which it, was heavy. That is very yeah. heavy for an 18-year-old. Yeah. But, you know, it's regret is something I always talk about. It's a hard thing to have because people have regret and they think of it in terms of something I did right or I did wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, more wrong regret, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, you learn and as you get, you know, as you grow and get older that there is 
there's no reason to be regretting anything because whatever you're doing is getting you to where you want to be or where you're going to end up. Exactly. And, and obviously you might have had some struggles with your decisions that you were making then, mm -hmm. but the path that has come out b before you and that you're on is working for you. So it's, no, it no regret so far. There's no regret. I mean, there's definitely a lot of emotional baggage that goes along with it. But the yeah. one thing I knew I control was the path forward. Right. You know, I mean, you're never going to not feel sad about certain things oh, or um, wish things could be different. But what you can do is what you can control. And that's going after the things you want to go after, taking the chances and the leaps of faith and believing in yourself um, to move forward, especially when, you know, things are at their worst. Yeah. I well, mean, I feel like you can do that. You can be happy. And it's the thing you can turn back to and be like, well, I might be failing even though I'm trying, but at least I'm not hating myself for not trying at all. Right. At least and I'm there's trying. something very noble about it. Yeah. You know, and it's something to be proud of. I mean, yeah, it's something to be very proud of. So you, you make this decision to, to go to school and during a really hard time in your life and, and he decided to go into dentistry. So yeah. that must have been like, okay, so my dad just died. I feel like shit starting college. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be a dentist and I hate this. Then yeah. what? <laughs> well, it's funny because like I went to my dentist and he went to Marquette and we were like close friends and he was a funny guy. And I was like, oh, this guy, he seems successful. Like he has kids. He seems like a good dad. And He's cracking jokes. So I'm like, I could just fix people's teeth and this could be my stage. And then I go there and I'm like, God, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I remember having a few beers sitting on my couch. And I'm like, what am I going to do, though? And just watching TV. And I'm like, OK, this seems I love television. So why right. not that? And I had a friend at the time that was in the com arts department. And all you hear on campus from people are like, oh, you're going to do a liberal arts degree. You're going to do com arts. OK, well, great. You're going to do nothing with that when you graduate. That's a good road way to throw $55,000 on the drive. But isn't it, isn't University of Wisconsin-Madison like a really good school for that? Like, isn't that like it is, what but you it go there for? It's the stigma. You go really? out and you have your friends that are, you know, in the finance world or engineers or, you know, actual trades that you can like see what right. your career path is going to be when you get out of it. Right. And, and in this Comarts, industry. It's TV, yeah. radio, and film. And it's like, well, where's the TV, radio, and film in Milwaukee? Okay, I'm right. going to go work for PBS, which is great or the news or some radio station and make $25,000 a year and struggle yeah. to get by. So, I mean, that's even more pressure on top of it. It's, I just, cause then I'm like, well, who says I have to stay here? You right. know, that's a tough one too. Right. When you realize like, Oh, I can really go wherever I want. Yeah. That's a, it's a whole other jump and a whole set of guilt that comes with you too, especially if you have a close family. Oh, it's, it was a weird transition of like, okay, I'm in college and okay. I left them and I'm like, it's only four years. That's what I kept saying to myself. And I think mm -hmm. to them, and then I got two years in, I got into com arts and this study of television. And I started finding improv at that time. And I'm like, okay, now I got to go to LA. And I'm like, oh boy. And I'm like, how am I going to pitch it to these people? Because it's just me and my mom, you know, and we don't yeah. have a lot of close immediate family outside of it. And I'm like, well, okay. I got to keep moving forward. I mean, that's the path, right? And it's got to be your path. It has to be your No path. matter what. You have to write your story. And I mean, I certainly get that too because I was, I had wanderlust my whole life. And I'm from a very close Irish Catholic family. Yeah. We're all Gil. in each other's 
business big mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And not only did I jump around from college, but then I was like, okay, I'm moving to Europe and now I'm moving <laughs> across the country. And I mean, my mother was, I made her have lots of gray hair real early because I was all over the place and it's hard. And you feel this sense of guilt, but then you realize that, you know, you're doing the stuff that you need to do for you. And in this day and age, uh, miles shouldn't make a difference because it's easy to call. Now we got FaceTime and exactly. all that stuff. All right, so you get into com arts, which that's communication arts. Is that yeah, what that is? communication arts. Okay, so you're doing this at school, and then you realize you need to do an internship to because move that's, forward. that's what people tell you. So what you, you do? You get to college, and everybody knows the path and the route, and right. What you're supposed to do, and you're young and naive, and you're like, okay, so. I don't know anybody that works in television. So I'm like, how do you make this work? And all I knew were like the cliche stories of you just pick up the phone and you call somebody. And I really loved Conan O'Brien the entire time I was growing up. And I found a number online. And this is right when he was moving from his New York shows to LA. And I got this number and I called and I got an email and sent my resume and my cover letter and heard nothing back. And then I think, Every day for about three and a half weeks straight, I called and was like, can you look at my resume? Can I get an interview? Can you look at my resume? Can you get an interview? And I think like I would never do that now, knowing how this industry works. But back then, persistence pays off. Absolutely. And finally, I got in touch with the intern coordinator. And this is during finals week, like leading into the summer. And they go, "Okay, you have to come out and interview in L.A. And I've never been to L.A. before. I'm like, okay, when? And they're like, two days from now. And I go, okay. Hang up the phone, young, naive. I don't know what's going on. Go on Priceline, book a flight that's like half of my bank account at the time. Yeah. Because why not? And I remember I fly into LAX. They give me a Dodge Charger. I'm still such a, you know, Midwest dude. They give me like the key fob. I don't know how to start the car. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask these cute girls that are getting in their car. I'm like, hey, ladies, uh, can you tell me how to start my car? <laughs> Smooth. And I'm like, things are going great, you know? Uh, so I get in the car. I remember driving down the 405. I'm seeing these mountains for the first time. Like I said, I've never been to LA. I'm just blown away by it. I mean, and nobody's ever been happy driving on the 405 unless no, you've that's never been here before. Like the worst yeah. thing I could think of, well, actually. I'm living my best life at the time. I'm like, I'm seeing mountains coming from a place that has absolutely no mountains. I'm driving in a car. The nicest car I've ever driven in in my entire life. Dodge Charger. Yeah, Dodge That's Charger. hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and I pull into the Universal Studios lot, and I park, and I'm like, this Holy is crap. where they make television. That first time you yeah. pull on a lot, isn't it the most overwhelming? Oh. It's like, and probably you have this in you, too, because we're from, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, you're mm-hmm. from Wisconsin. It's like not a real place. Like, real people don't go there. Like, that's how I always thought like real people don't get to do this. And yeah. when the first time I was on a, a studio lot, I was like, Oh my God, I am on a studio lot. <laughs> and not like in a tour, like oh, I'm there. I, I already made it at that point. I'm like, I don't uh, care what happens with this interview. <laughs> like, even if I don't get it, like this is the pinnacle. I made it, you know? Right. It's, it's, I, if you've I, never been on a studio lot, when yeah. you go for the first time, you're like, wow, this is it. Mm-hmm. So did you get the internship? I did. I interviewed wow. and there was a connection because I went to Madison and the intern coordinator went to Ohio State and I kind of made that connection. My resume was crap. My cover letter was way too long. There's no reason I should have got it. And I think it was just being nice and just promising I was going to work as hard as I could. Um, 
I got in the elevator. I remember being in the airport heading back to Milwaukee and I got a call and they said I had it and I had to drive out in a month. Wow. And you got back to Wisconsin and you were like, I'm the man. Yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> I am so much better than all you people. I'm going to be famous. Peace. Yeah. But then it was like, oh, LA's expensive. How am I going to afford this? Because oh. I, I didn't have plan B. It was just plan A, get it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? But you know what? Probably when you were that age, it was probably easier than when you're older and try to come to L.A. Because it's it, it's so overwhelming mm-hmm. that if you could really think about all the stuff that you need to do to live in L.A., you would never come. Yes. But as a kid, you're like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure awesome. it out. <laughs> I was broke, though. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get a roommate on Craigslist, and which I did. And he turned out to be like the worst roommate ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was gonna go the other way. They're gonna say, "Oh, we're best friends." No, he would like steal cigarettes off the street, like the little tiny bits of them, and then like take the tobacco out and then roll them. He was like basically homeless, living in. Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, which and he'd eat potatoes from the ninety-nine cent store every day, which is fine. But I'm like, okay, this is what LA's like. Yeah, that was your introduction. Yeah, welcome. All right, Uh, so you got your internship, and how'd it go? It went great. I busted my butt. I mean, by the for, way, guys, just a, a sidebar is he still works at Conan O'Brien. I do. Eight so, years later. Um, yeah, he's still, still there. working there. So it must have gone all right. Yeah. Uh, I think we're at like 1,500 episodes of television since I've worked Get there. Out. Yeah, that I've been a part of, which is insane. Eight years. So you worked at the as the internship. Now, first of all, when you became an intern, did you like get to meet Conan? Oh, absolutely. And were you just he, he's so nice yourself? To the interns and oh, everybody I saw, it was just. I would die. Like I would be like, oh my God, that's Turtle from Entourage. You know, you go here and he's like, yeah, he's working at Radio Shack probably, you know, like, right. <laughs> but then you're just starstruck. It's, and it's, it's so interesting because you have all these, you know, ideas of what these people will be like in your head and then you meet them and they're really completely normal. They're normal people. And it's well, like, oh, all right. A lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. There are some, Yeah, some that, you know, are, uh, they think that there's something mm-hmm. else, but it's, it's a really interesting experience. So, the internship, when you were doing the internship, is that when you decided, like, okay, I need, I want to be on stage doing this myself? Um, I would say it was, the internship ended, and I went back to Madison, and then I got into the improv community there doing Atlas Improv, because the Conan show ended, and I did the Second City and IO while I was in Milwaukee, and I drive down to Chicago. Oh, you did Second City in Chicago, the real one. I started there, and then I finished off in LA. Wow, cool. That's, that's, when the, that's when the bug started to bite me a little bit. And I tried to start to do stand-up a little bit in Madison, but it didn't go well. And I was like, okay, improv seems more like it because you're part of this community. Yeah, and see, this is – okay, first of all, I, if people who've listened to this, they know I am not an improv guy. I, oh, no, because, I find it the most uncomfortable, awkward oh, I, experience. I, I do with, too. Because, and the people that are improv people to me are like just – Unbearable. I can't even – I always say it's like – you know when you go do background, if you're if you ever do if you're ever an extra on a show, extras background people are like a breed of their own. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like, oh, I just did a I just did a show with De Niro and blah blah blah. But they were like concession stand worker number four. Yeah, and they just talk and talk and they well that's to me like what like these improv improv people, people out here. It's <laughs> like I was just on a I just started my podcast and uh, <sighs> I got I got a few feelers at Nickelodeon. Oh and yeah, it's like, it's like you sent an email and there's no feelers. Whatever. Right. Any a lot of the times I take everything with a grain of salt. It's yeah, like, nobody's doing anything as awesome as they are out here as they say they are. As they say they are, which is like a bad attitude to have because you like to believe people, but 
They're just telling you this to make them not feel bad that they're not doing anything, but they're trying. So and true. I get it. It's just they're a different breed of people. And so for but it's funny to hear you. Yeah. I wouldn't think that and just, you know, you having your personality, I wouldn't think that you would like that even. So you actually liked it more and you found a Well, I did. There. And then I did it for so long and I just got sick of getting people together and getting five people. I'm like, I'm just going to do stand up. This is so much easier because I found that I was putting a lot more effort into getting the groups together, setting up the shows. And people would show up in like shorts and like not take it seriously. Right. And I'm like, if I'm putting all my time and all my efforts into it, I might as well just take the benefits of it myself. Right. You and want take the, the benefits rewards of myself. But I do think you're right. Like bad improv is really bad. Oh and God. Like, just thinking and about like, it. And like kind of good improv is still like cringeworthy. Crin- I, I'm, I'm but when it's great, cringing thinking about it. But when it. it's great, it's amazing. And yeah, it looks effortless, and you're like, "Holy crap!" Well, it's it's great when people are there because they care about being funny and a, as a whole, like mm-hmm. as an ensemble. If they're there to be, if they're there to be funny themselves, which I think it's not good. That's what it is out here now. Yeah, you're you're losing a lot of like the people that are playing together and being a team, and I think a lot of it has to do with. You know, a lot of the new YouTube generations and right. people trying to be these stars. The and Insta it's, channel. it's and all about me and my Instagram right. account. Right, Instagram me, 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 and I'll be so funny in the Twitter. minute. And it, it's, and it's really true. And so, okay, if you've never seen an improv show, <laughs> audience, let me tell you. Okay. Wait, let's let's do, let's do it real quick. I can't. Can you just say yes and, okay? It's like, oh, hey, MJ, I see you're, uh, you have a wedding ring. Did you just get married? Yeah, and I uh, just got back from my honeymoon, too. And scene. That's it. That's improv, guys. <laughs> That's improv, guys. Or then they'll do things like games. They'll be like, okay, this is Dr. Know-It-All, and <laughs> four people are going to stand in a line, and you're going to start a word. I'm going to ask a question, and the first person's going to start a word, and the second person's going to pick up with the second word, and you just do these games, or they do like – it's just the most uncomfortable thing in the world. <laughs> I can't even – and it's not like I'm scared of it. No. It's just I stand there, and I don't know how to say it in a, a way that doesn't make me sound like an ass. But I stand no, there. No, everybody think, hates us right now. Trust me. Yeah, I, I look around, and think you guys are all freaking losers. Like uh, you're just <laughs> losers. Like, <laughs> hey, but they're 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 putting themselves out there. I know, I know. Like, I know. I don't. I don't mean to hate on the improv you community. Do need, you do need those those easy games at the start to give you the confidence to move forward. I mean, everybody has to start something. Yeah, and actually, I did Second City, and I loved Second City. Oh, I absolutely love Second City. There's there's a bunch of improv. Um, schools and I'm sure people have heard of the groundlings groundlings mm-hmm. is very famous and there's um IO which is uh improv olympics yeah which just closed down it just closed here. down yeah I know people were devastated I never did any of those and then there's this uh, upright citizens brigade which I think is like the hipster improv place now um not sure about that but everybody I know that goes there is super hipstery but anyway so they're super all... cool they're way cooler than oh are they anything I've ever done oh okay I've just been you know Putting all my efforts in for eight years. Right, right. I'm, so I'm a super cool. Exactly. Yeah, you know. So this is, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. Improv schools, they all have this like attitude. But Second City is, Second City is like it's, it's, methodical and there's a thought out process and you actually learn something, which is why I loved Second City. I did the, them all. It's the theater school of improv schools in my yeah. opinion. It's supportive. It's fun. Yeah, and I'm still friends with a lot of them. Yeah. So, okay. All right. That's enough of me my in my improv bashing. I don't mean to improv bash. Sorry, guys. If you're an improv lover. I apologize. Keep at it. All right. So then you were like, I'm ready. I'm going to do stand up. Yeah. And how'd it go? First time I, it's, it's the, you hear the story a lot of the times that the first time you do it, it goes really well. And then the next 30 times after that, it goes terribly. That's kind of my story. Um, I did it at like a bar show in Milwaukee after I've been doing um, improv for, I'd say about 
five, six years. And I got up and I killed, but it was a lot of my friends. So it was right. like, everybody's laughing because they want to laugh at your stuff. Right. And I came to LA with this big head. I'm like, I'm going to go to the comedy store. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it so hard. And I remember I went up there and it was complete silence. And I questioned everything in my entire life up to that point. I'm like, I don't need to be up here doing this. Like, why did, would I do this to myself? Did you do the comedy store, the the Thursday night new comic showcase thing? I did a similar bringer show on a Friday on in Friday. the belly room. And, okay. it, and it was packed. And it's Ugh. like a very honest room where, like I said, LA, they're going to judge you on how good you are. Because I've seen it. Especially now, audiences are smart. There's a better comedic mind, I think, than there's ever been before. Because you know, there's so many Netflix specials and so many clips you can watch on YouTube. And everybody wants the flashy jokes now. Right, and if you're not bringing it, get off the stage. I, I and I had to learn that, and that was great. I mean, it's great learning trial by fire. If you want to get better quick, you gotta get up and bomb and bomb and bomb. Right, and there's no better way of learning than just doing. Gotta keep, just gotta keep throwing. But as long as you're still doing it, so yeah. And I'm not saying I'm. I it just, I'm still in the process. Right. I'm starting to go on the road. I'm starting to work. I'm starting to get paid to do it, which is fantastic. Like it's such a relief when you start passing at clubs, like becoming a paid performer at them and you're like, okay, it's all worth it. But then you look at other comments, you're like, but I still have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, so how long did it take you to get from that point that you did your first stand up and bombed at the comedy store on sunset Boulevard to now when you're actually getting some, some coin for it? Uh, three years, three years, three years. Wow. Yeah. And that's a lot of bringer shows where it's like, if you don't know what a bringer show is, they're like, we'll give you five minutes, but you have to bring eight people. And by the way, when you're friends with lots of people in L.A., you always have a handful of friends that are constantly trying to get you to go. Yeah. And you have to go, and you have to pay for your ticket, yeah. and you have to buy two drinks. And you have to buy two it's drinks. It's very expensive to be friends with comedians. <laughs> and after you do two bringer shows, you're like, I don't. Ha- I need to make more friends in L.A. because right. I, don't, I don't have new- any more material. So they're going to come out and see me do the same thing. And I'm like a people pleaser, so I'm like, I got to come up with new stuff fast or these people are going to stop coming to see me. And that alone right there is hard. And that that's another thing with comedians is not only do you have to kill it, but you also have to get your audience. Mm-hmm. You have to use your friends, use whatever context you have to get the people there just so you could have the opportunity to yeah. tell the jokes yeah. and you can still bomb. Yeah, and you're stressing. And here you are spending your whole week stressing about if you're going to have enough people if you can get up when you should just be worrying about your performance. Your performance. And yeah. working on your set, which is really counterintuitive, but it's, I mean, and there's more comics than ever. And this bubble is so big and it's so hard to stand out and you have to network and it's just relentless. It's tiring. It is. And, it, and actors whine all the time about how hard their lives are and auditioning is so hard and, and the uncertainty of it. But People, it's, it's some not, people don't even audition for three years out here. Right. So oh, it's yeah, like, sure. what are you complaining about? And what am I complaining about? I'm well, getting stage time. Like, yeah, I have yeah. nothing to complain about. But still, I mean, the, the comedy road is a tough one. It and is. You know what? It's so it's such a well-known thing. They say what, what dying is easy, but making someone laugh is is hard mm-hmm. when it comes to entertainment. To it, you can, It's easy to die, have a dying scene, but to get <laughs> someone to laugh is, is impossible. Uh, so now you're doing shows. Doing shows and, you know. How are they going? They're going really well. I am finally feel like I'm at the point where we'll hit six good ones and maybe have a, a bomb in the middle of it. But even a bomb isn't as bad as it used to be. So when you say bomb to you, what does that mean? Because I think 
I've been to comedy shows, and I like to go to comedy shows a lot. First of all, I like to support mm-hmm. comedians because it's tough. And I also like to see the styles of people and, and what they're doing out there. Because you know when you go to comedy stores, you know a lot of these people you're going to see later on, mm-hmm. um, especially here. Yeah. And you, you know, you're seeing these people that you don't know their name now, but you'll see them on something later on. And yeah. Like, oh, you, that guy was funny. And I love that you can see it in the moment where you're like, this guy's close. And they and they develop certain styles for them you know it, it, it's very it's finding much, your voice right so it's you know that's Ro- the hardest part Roseanne is so big right now because she's back on tv but Roseanne got what she got because she was a stand-up comic who was the domestic goddess she knew her role she knew her audience and that was who she was she made her character she had her character and she had her voice yeah and I don't know if you knew this she started in Colorado and she was I'll speed the story up but um Louie Anderson and Sam Kinison saw her and they're like you got to come to LA it was like her second set at the comedy store, and Mitzi's like, "Oh, you have to do the showcase. We're doing a showcase of women in the main room right now. You have to come in." And she did it. And somebody from the Tonight Show was there. She was on the Tonight Show two weeks later, and she had her development deal for Roseanne, like in the first six months of coming to LA. Yeah, because she had a voice. She knew who she was. She knew what she wanted to say on there, and it rang true with the crowd. And and it's these comedians that do real well. They all have the same thing. I mean, Seinfeld talked about nothing. Mm-hmm. Raymond was talked about his family. Yep. They they these comics do it and. On a small scale, every time you go and see a comedian, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. They're they're showing their life view through their perspective in a way that you can relate to in a funny way. And so I love to go see that. So what's your perspective? What kind of comic are you? What do you talk about? What do you um, do? Well, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but life in a weird way, I think like my cynicism and self-doubt and just opinionated nature that i have yeah because like i like to be nice and i do my best right i'd say that kind of comes out on stage and what i'm finding now and is working the best is some of those past traumas in my life they say like what's your story and then talk about it the more personal i have become on stage in in weird ways dark but you know if you can take a dark thing and make it funny i think that's really hard and that's what i'm learning how to do in a weird way of like bringing up my dad's death it's like for example like one joke i recently started telling is like Losing your dad, a lot of people have questions what the hardest part about that is. And, you know, they think, like, you'll never see him again or, you know, he'll never be at your wedding or meet any of your kids. Dark, right? Right. That's the premise. Yeah. Completely silent. And then you go, okay, how am I going to get myself out of this? And then my spin on it is that's not the hardest part for me. The hardest part for me is the last time I saw my dad was at a dinner we had together at a Golden Corral. And just the fact that every time my dad's death comes up, you think of Golden Corral. I have the words Golden Corral have come out of my <laughs> oh, mouth. God. Like I'd be better off just wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt all the time because <laughs> that's a far easier way to let people know I'm a white trash piece of shit. Oh, you know, my God. Like, and then just going down that road. That's oh, so that, but that's so funny because you're well. First of all, when you make them uncomfortable, yeah, it's easier to make them laugh, yeah. right? Because they're like, oh God, where's this going? I'm nervous. Um, but it's also making yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and not taking yourself too seriously. Exactly. Which, which I think across the board in life, with whatever you do, if you don't take yourself seriously, people can relate to you so much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my whole, everything I've gotten in my life is because I don't take myself seriously and I completely will tell you what's going on. Yeah. Put it all out there. And you're opening yourself up to, to them and they're like, okay, I've been through some trauma like this. And he's like, he's up here doing it. Like, right. He's talking about it. Like, and it shows someone that we can go through shit in life, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean your life has to stop. It doesn't. You can have that that 
trauma and drama, and it can still be there, but you can still walk with it yeah. and make things happen. And, you know, when I started doing these jokes, I, in a way, I think looking at it now and having people come up to me and talk to me about it to be like, you're dark. And I'm like, but they're like, but we like that you talked about it. And it's like, I lost my parent too. And it's kind of, you know, people relate to it. I guess I never thought that jokes could do that in a way like a song might touch somebody, but you're doing it through humor in a way of like, okay, cool. Maybe my situation isn't that bad. Right. Um, But also how weird is this? Have you thought about the fact that by you doing that, there might be someone in that room who is going through something similar that you just went through. And you may have just made a difference to them because they're seeing you being funny and, mm-hmm. you know, honest and living your, your truth as they say. And they're like, well, he went through it. Well, if he got there, you know, I can do it too. And you can really change people's lives and touch people by that. I agree. I mean, looking back, like I think there was a lot of shame when my dad passed away because it wasn't of the greatest like instances of like how it happened, blah, blah, blah. And I think anybody loses a parent early. It's like, I feel bad. And what's part of this, my fault I've been cheated and you're almost embarrassed to talk about it. A lot of times, at least I felt found in my situation or like there's shame in being vulnerable mm-hmm. and to get up and be like, well, there's always something funny that you can find in it or a silver lining inside of it. And like you said, if doing a joke, people can find that. I mean, you're winning. I mean, yeah. you're getting laughs and you're helping people out. Right. Which, which is, is, it's crazy. Cause I mean, end of the day, I, you, I mean, I'm not trying to be Ellen or Oprah and right. reach people's hearts, but I mean, you want them to laugh at the end of the day, but, but also it's a part of being a human, you know, we want to be able to, do do for yourself and do for others and it just makes you feel good to know that you're putting good things out there i will say there are jokes that i like don't work that are vulnerable like i do one i think it's hilarious but <laughs> <laughs> i love when comedians yeah. say i think it's i think it's hilarious but i'm like uh just again it's i know i mentioned my dad's thing but it's like i'm like my dad always used to tell me he did he was a carpenter he'd be like you always got to be smarter than what you're working with and i'd work with him you always got to be smarter than what you're working with and then uh he died of a heroin overdose so it's like I find that somebody wasn't smarter, you know, but I get why people don't get it. Well, people probably don't know if they're supposed to laugh. I know. Right. Cause they're like, Oh hey. shit. That's not funny. But well, oh God. <laughs> imagine like to go back to it. What I'm learning is like, you know, it's that situation, the way he went out eight years ago, there was a stigma to it. Yeah. And it seemed like it was like a class-based thing. Like you had to be poor you know, weird or, you know, strung out for it to happen to you. And you see now, like every family's affected. No. Everyone, it touches, everyone knows someone, everybody. Yeah. And now like, I wouldn't admit to it. Like I'm admitting it on this podcast. It took, I, up until two years ago, he died of a heart attack. Wow. And now not only am I talking about it on this podcast, I'm talking about it on stage and it's not, I mean, is it therapy for me? I don't know, but it's helping me move on and become all right with it. But you know what's interesting is you just said that now you feel better saying it, but I bet you there's someone that is listening to you who has had someone in their family this happened to it, but they're still where you were eight years ago. Yeah. They don't want people to know. So by you doing this, like you're really helping people see that these things happen in life and no one ever plans for 
no one ever plans to be an addict. No one ever plans no, to overdose. That's the this thing. is the, the, the drama and tragedy of our modern lifestyle is sometimes we get caught up in things that we wish we didn't. And it gets to a point where we can't turn back. It snowballs and you don't. Yeah. And it's no it. one's fault. No. And, and no one should have to be ashamed or, or, you know, hide. And I think that I'm really glad you brought this up because in my family, we've dealt with this, with addiction a lot. Mm-hmm. And we've dealt with, um, had family members who have had the same, similar struggles. And the last thing I ever would want them to think is that it's something that to be ashamed about. It's, it's something that happens and it sucks. And it's more important that people don't hide it because by hiding it, People can't get help and they can't get saved mm-hmm. and it's a hard thing to do. So it, it's so good that you're, that you're taking something so serious and trying to bring it to a light where people can really think about it, but also get a laugh from it. Exactly. And I mean, you're a survivor. I mean, if you're associated with an addict or there's one in your life, like it's difficult. I mean, and especially if they die and like you're saying, I think you're talking, I mean, in both situations, if you are the person that is being affected by it, that's tough and it's hard to get out until you become honest. Yeah. But there is a tragedy to being the person that's living with it. Absolutely. And you're allowed to feel pain. And if they die, that shame's not your shame. Right. It's not your job to maintain their legacy of who they are. And just because they went out the way they are, there are silver linings to it. And there are good parts about them that have always been there and are always going to be there. Right. Just because your dad dies of a heroin overdose doesn't mean he wasn't a good person. He right. wasn't a good father. He wasn't a provider. Absolutely. He doesn't didn't mean he was provide a bad guy. with countless memories. But you feel that. I felt that. Yeah. It's like, if I say that, then all that goes away. And you probably felt that if you said that to people, people just assume he was no good. Yeah. A piece of crap. Yeah. And, and that... Why does that? Why does one thing have anything to do with the other? It doesn't. Again, no one, doesn't. no one ever wants this to happen. And I, this is part of what I talk about. And you know, my whole, my life came from. I almost, I shouldn't be here today because I tried to take my life mm-hmm. over the silliness of it. It's embarrassing now. In retrospect, it's embarrassing. But when you get into these situations that you can't see the bigger picture that it just happens. Mm -hmm. You don't do it on purpose. You don't mean to make these wrong turns that screw up your whole life. The last thing in the world anyone wants to do is to, to do that for their own life and affect everybody else around them. Mm -hmm. So you just have to realize that about people. And, and I think that people like you who can be vocal and be in front of people and show that, you have had this kind of, I hate to use the word, but it's true, tragedy in your yeah. life, but that you recognize that it was an awful thing that happened, but that you're going to be okay and you still know that that person was a great person too. By doing that and showing that and sharing it with people, it's going to really affect people, and that's awesome. Uh, thank you for that, and I mean, applaud you for your own Wow, this really um, went yeah. deep. Hey. <laughs> we went from we went from bashing improv artists. I to know, here we are. Here, yeah, but I do think it's your story to tell, and 
as you become more successful and you've had the path and you've had this thing happen to you, I think it's your job to be vocal about it and to encourage people that are going through it now or maybe have gone through it for a while to keep going. Yeah, because and, you and know. just because they fail, I feel like it's it's tough because something like that happens and you feel like, okay, well now my life is just taken three steps back. Right. And there's no getting out of this. Now it's my job to patch it up. But you can keep living. And I think me coming out of it, moving to LA, maintaining a good relationship with my family, continuing to make strides, coming to terms with it, is like you just gotta keep moving forward. And that's the biggest thing. And I talk to kids and I go to colleges and I always say, no matter what happens in your life, no, whatever it is, it's going to be okay. It's going to be be okay. And the only thing you have to keep doing is put one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. And it's cliche. We've all heard it a million times. But when people are telling you this who have already been down or have already been through it Mm -hmm. and they're out of it, they're living proof. They're saying, just listen, we know it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. The sun's going to come up. The sun's going to set. A new day will happen. Just keep going. You know, one foot in front of the other. What's the what's the, the quote? It's uh, the biggest worries are stories that will never write themselves. You know, like biggest concerns you have. Oh, right. Life. Yeah, it's it'll a, never. It's never going to come yeah. to fruition. I know. You, 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 what you create in your mind is yeah. probably way worse than anything. And that's you're ever. not alone. There's a million people that have been in your exact same position, if not worse. Right. And, and that's, and, and not I, to take I, away from what you're going through. Cause you should feel it. But like you said, just know that everything's going to be okay. And as soon as you ask for the help or you become honest with yourself and you go out there and you look for it, that's man. If you can do that early on, you're going to be leaps and bounds in front of each other. And you're going to be on the fast track track to finding success and you know becoming healthy again or yeah i i, I couldn't agree more I, I always say when your perspective is a, a really powerful thing because you feel like no matter what's happening it's the worst thing because it's mm-hmm. you and you also feel like your failures or the issues or the dramas or the traumas you have are singular but there's nothing singular there's whatever you've been through, someone else has been through. Mm-hmm. So if you can find someone who's been through what you've been through or hear us, hear the the story of someone who's been through what you've been through, you can draw a lot from them and you can, it could, it should help comfort you knowing that like, if they're okay, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's important for people that have stories to share them in whatever way they feel comfortable. So for me, I wrote a book about it There you go. and, and I talked to people in a very, casual way you tell jokes and people write songs um and if you're not an artistic person i mean keep a journal yeah keep a journal go for a run maybe you take a picture of something beautiful that provides you with a memory or connects you to something inside of you that you're feeling and you post it on instagram maybe nobody else sees it but you're seeing it in yourself right and someone may say what made you take that picture and they'll say well actually it's because of this blah 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 and you get to tell your story so it's always it's always good when you get those things that are on the inside out because it does stuff for you and for the world Mm -hmm. around you and that is our that's the philosophical corner (laughs) of of today's show (laughs) i i uh have you been to like a therapist or anything oh god yes Yeah. yeah God love therapy. I was never um, on like medication mm-hmm. for like, the, even though I had like major depression and stuff and I never wanted to go on medication because I didn't want it to alter my personality. But I think 
that sitting in front of someone and talking to someone who doesn't know you or anybody around you and just letting someone hear what you have to say is very valuable. That's great. I, I'm a big fan. I would never be able to be a good uh, Scientologist because <laughs> I am all about psychiatry. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> all right. So your career is doing well and you're still at Conan. So tell us about Conan. What do you do there? What's it like? Uh, been at Conan for eight years. Um, I do cue cards there currently, which is fantastic. I work when I first started working there, I worked in audience and then, um, I moved up quite a few different positions and then landed in cue cards cause I wanted to get closer to the writing process and I wanted to learn how to write jokes. And with the cue card, if you don't know what it is, um, you pretty much write everything Conan's going to say down onto a card and he reads it live. Doesn't he use a teleprompter? Uh, so on our shows, um, a lot of shows do use a prompter. The majority of shows do, but live comedy shows, they do not use a prompter because the eye lines wouldn't match up. So if somebody's sitting in the audience and they're talking to Conan, you need to have a cue card there to make that eye line look like they're looking at each other. So I never knew that Saturday Night Live, um, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, Seth Meyers. We use cue cards. I've worked cue cards on the Golden Globes. Um, the Disney Christmas specials every year. I do the cue cards on that. It's so like this cue card world that I thought was just like a way to get me to this writing process. I've got to work so many cool gigs that I never thought possible. That's like awesome. I did the live taping with Tiffany Haddish at SNL and 30 Rock, and I was working cue cards on a sketch that was supposed to be cut, and it turned out to be the first sketch out of the commercial break. And awesome. it was thrilling. And they cut sometimes to show them setting up the sets on SNL, and my fr- my girlfriend and my friend in New York were watching. They're like, "We just saw you." They cut to the live shot. That's and so I'm like, cool. <laughs> and then I'm working the Golden Globes, and I'm holding cards um, behind Steven Spielberg, and um, who was it? Oh, uh, Meryl Streep. Of course, I can't remember her name. I, I was like, "Oh, oh, oh that one just slipped my mind." Yeah. <laughs> and Tom Hanks and Seth Meyers telling a joke, and you try to hide yourself, and Meryl Streep cracks up so much, and she parts the like the C. And so she was blocking me, and now I'm in the middle of the camera on the Golden Globes. Like, hey, like, hey, everybody! <laughs> Here I am. So I, I feel my phone starting to Hello, buzz. Hello, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel my phone starting to buzz in my pocket as I'm sitting there, like, we just saw you. It's so cool. So and 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 it's exciting because you're in that world because you love it. I love it, and I just you know I've learned so much. I mean, you do cue cards, and you're working with celebrities, and you're editing, and you're writing every joke, and you're seeing what makes it in there. And what doesn't, what word makes it funnier, what things got cut. You're learning about blocking on the stage and like camera angles and just how the flow of a show works. Um, That's really awesome. And like I said, it's like, I, this started and you're like to bring it back, like to that sad time. And now I see myself doing these things and I'm in these moments. I think the one that got me the most was the first year I worked the Disney Christmas parade. So they shoot it during Thanksgiving. And I remember being on Main Street and all the floats are coming by and Mickey Mouse. And I started tearing up. I'm like, yeah, I've been watching this since I've been three years old. And I think when I accepted the gay, I didn't remember that. But that place is magical. And I went every move I made in my life, every decision, good, bad or otherwise, led to this moment. And I'm in awe of it. And you I don't know. It's weird. You're like. How did that happen? Yeah. You, you, how do you wind up on the Golden Globes? And, you know. Right. And next it, to these people that people admire that are the top of the industry. 
and I'm collaborating them with right now on the floor, you know, of the show. You say things like, "Why? Did, how did this happen?" Right? And people can say, "Oh, you know, it's it was fate or the universe or God's plan or whatever." But and that all can be true, and it all is true. Mm-hmm. But the thing I always have to remember is because you kept going. You gotta give yourself and you some kept credit. doing it. Yeah, give yourself some credit. Like not, you got yourself there. I'm not great at it, and it's always it's hard not to enjoy the moments out here because there's it's such like comparison is everything out here. Oh yeah. And I'm a small cog in the system, and but if you look at it, like I've survived for eight years out here, which is really hard. Yeah. I've worked consistently for eight years out here, which is really hard. And comparison's the thief of joy. It really is. You have to enjoy your experience because it is your own. You have to make it your own. You have to take all of the positives that come out of it and give yourself some credit because we are way too hard on ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things I think that is the downfall of most people is they're so hard on themselves Mm -hmm. and they're always looking over their shoulder. And in anything that you do, if you are so worried about what the other person's doing, you are not getting, you're not, you don't have the energy to do the best of what you're doing. Exactly. So it really screws you up. And out here, Everybody is jealous. Everybody is trying to outdo everybody. And I don't get it. We should be supporting yeah, one and, another. And, and the, it's easy to say. But. but you know, but what happens is you gravitate, and I know I've talked about this in the podcast before, but you gravitate towards those people in LA. My group of friends I've had for years, and we're up close, and we may not see each other all the time, and and we pick up people on the way because they're the ones that are doing their thing. They're working hard. They're not worried about what I'm doing. If there's anything to do to help me, they're there. But and if I get something great, they're there. They're the first ones to give me a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. That is how people should be. And in this world, in particular, they're more important than ever because it's there's just so much rejection and so much competition and so much stress that you really need those kind of people. But I have said for years that those people that think the way you do, they are the ones that succeed. Mm-hmm. The ones that are constantly comparing or jealous or looking over their shoulders or wishing people not to succeed, they're not the ones you have to worry about because they'll weed themselves out. That's true. It's a strainer. You might see people that – so I just imagine it a strainer. I've seen so many people that have gotten hired due to a nepotism or they knew somebody and they weren't ready for it. Yeah. And they fall through. And all you want to do is stick and just be as good as you can when the opportunity comes and then just nail it. Yep, and, and that's all you can do is because you focused on yourself that entire time and you didn't worry about what other person, people's success are. I see a friend that's successful as a positive for me because if I'm nice to that person and I've supported them, hey, maybe they're going to get an opportunity that opens a door for me. Right. Or they know somebody and they bring them to a show and they see me. Like other people's successes should be seen as, you know, a good thing for you. I mean, not that you should use people. Right. But you should be happy for them. And who knows what that's going to turn into. And who knows if they're at the top now, five years from now, you're where they are and they're back down. And and you could help each and other. You can help each you other. You know, they say, they say to raise a kid, it takes a village to raise a child. But I think it takes a village to raise or it takes a village to fulfill a, a human. Mm-hmm. We all have to, like, help everybody fulfill what they want. And the more we're just there to help the the more likely we're all going to get to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And everything I've ever achieved since I've been out here, everything has been because of someone that I was good to along the way. And That's they're the ones who turned around and said, 
this is going to be great for you. Why don't you try this? And something hits. No, I have never been in an audition. I have never submitted a manuscript hoping it would get uh, published. Mm-hmm. I have every every single thing I've done is because I've been good to someone else. And I think that that's, there's a lot to be said about that. And it's, I think the crazy part is is that that's a, that's the surprise for a lot of people. Yeah. When that should just be how we treat people all right. the time. Right. You know, like, then, why is this even a lesson? Like, why why does it have to be? I, I'm this way because, well, if I wasn't, my mother the, would have given me a crack. Yeah, <laughs> like, she would have killed me. <laughs> like, this is how you behave. That's how I was brought up. Yeah, one of the best, the, the best advice I got when I started working at Conan is just be nice to every intern because – you never know who will be. They might be the next big director. I always tell every single person who comes out here, and when they start, I say, be nice, follow directions, and speak when spoken to. <laughs> like That's like the yeah. best thing I advice I can give people. I, I had one, one question right, for you. Because you do go around and you talk to a lot of kids. And yeah. my question is, like, how is this new Instagram, stardom, Twitter, Facebook, all that affecting kids in a way of, like, encouraging them to chase their dreams and or the opposite of that well it's really i can see it as like it helps and it hurts it does it does what what what's hard is it magnifies so what you see is the stuff that we had when we were in school it's still there it's exactly the same it's just magnified so bullies are magnified Mm -hmm. um the self-doubt is magnified um the popular kids and and the ones that have friends they're you know that it's very easy for kids to to look at these fake worlds that as adults we all know what people post that's just normally that's just an illusion yeah. of the life that people want to let you see as kids they don't get that so mm-hmm. they see friends together and they're not invited and it hurts their feelings and it, there's all, a lot of that but on the flip side there's a lot of encouragement when i was a kid when i was in school it, it was a pre-glee world. I didn't singing and dancing. I would have gotten the shit kicked out of me. Um, and plus I was gay. So I was scared to death to do anything, mm-hmm. but it was in me anyway. So I still sang. So I had to, I had to be friends with people and I had to do this and to do that. To, so I just, so I could like sing and it would be okay. Now these kids are singing and putting up videos of themselves and they're getting classmates and hundreds of people liking them and comments saying that you're great. And it's really giving them these, this boost in self-esteem sometimes when they shouldn't (laughs) sometimes I'm like, Oh, you're really not that good. But so it works both ways. The hardest thing I think with social media that I've seen is that kids aren't really their interpersonal skills are really bad because they're more, they're so in sync with that perfect social media moment Mm -hmm. to take it than to actually be in the moment and live it. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see how that how, how that out. how that plays out because yeah. I'll tell you I went and spoke at my high school and it was really a great moment for me because I I came from a I come from a great town and my high school was great and they're just, you know, it's a really good group of people still. It's just a place that has good people. So I talked to the kids at the high school and it was really nice and one of the nicest things that happened was I came through the cafeteria, they were giving me a tour of the school at the end, and I went through, and all these kids stood up, and they were high screaming for me, and they were clapping, and I was like, you know, it was really nice, and I, and I forgot, like I was like, oh, I should put this on social media, so I whipped out my phone, and I just kind of like went around the cafeteria and took a picture of it, 
And then I looked back and I realized every single kid in there had their phone out and was filming it. So it was like, wow, every single kid was on their phone. And even though it was a great moment for me, they weren't looking at me. They were looking at the screen. That's true. It's It's weird. It's like going to a concert and having that person that records the entire concert the whole time. It's like, you're never going to go home and watch it. You're never going to watch it. No. And then the other thing that I thought was really Twilight Zone-y was the kids were getting um, dropped off of their bus from school. And it was silent on the school bus. Oh, man. How weird is that? That's It, it was, was dead. The school bus was the gymnasium. Of course. The school bus was more fun than recess. Yeah. It was just so weird. The school bus opened the door and it was silent. Wow. I was like, what Everybody's the hell? Everybody's on their phone. <laughs> Everybody's on we their phone. Finally, what did I miss today? Yeah. It was, it was really weird. But I, like, <laughs> I think there's pluses and minus and minuses. But I, I believe that this generation that's coming up, well, that we've seen with the Parkland shooting and everything that they're doing is they're informed. Mm-hmm. They are involved in the world that they're making, and they want what they want, and they want it now. And it's going to be a very fascinating time to see how they're going to change things because they're ready, and they are used to hitting send gratification. Now you said this is what they want. I think like millennials are kind of like um, older retirees. But which yeah. is like, <laughs> it's, you're like, right. But they're, reverse, like, they're very demanding. They, they want it now. They want it now. Yeah. They know what they know. They what they know. Very, they know what they know. But and, I, I, I don't know if it's a bad thing. We'll just see how it goes. Eighteen is the new sixty-five. It, I, no. There you go. There it is. <laughs> you can get your senior citizens card. All right. Well, it was really fun talking to you, and I think that there's way more than meets the eye with with Mr. Eric here. I think you're going to do more than you realize. You're going to be a funny man, but I think that there's um you have some major potential to, to touch a lot of people well, and really help them. I think that's a that's a big goal of mine is to allow this to be a platform to do things like this and get the message out there. Yeah. And get in a situation where, you know, you can give back more than just by saying but by I don't know. Right, by doing. Monetarily, I like, I mean, that's that's the plan. Hey, anyone can donate money, but sharing your story, that's tough. Writing a check is easy. That's true. Get it, getting, uh, getting people to, to connect with you because of you being vulnerable, that, especially for a guy from the Midwest. That's, oh man, that's and trust me. impressive. You go home and you're like, man, these people are just, how do you live your life like this? Oh, uh, yeah. It's well, so suit and tie. And like, dude, just open your heart a little bit. And life gets so much easier if you just put this front down and just be okay with everything. Like, yeah, but we live it's in not, a... It's not gay to be emotional. You're not, not being a man by because you're being emotional. You've been in California too long. It's made you soft. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm going go to go back to states. <laughs> and, All right, well. I told how to really do it. We're coming to the end of our time here, so I have a couple questions just okay. to wrap it up, and I think we've already covered one of them, but uh, I usually ask people, tell me about a time in your life that you failed or a time that you uh, feel like you didn't do something the best that you could have, and how do you feel about that time now? Mm. Well, we did talk about uh, a lot of things. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, I think you've pretty much said. I got in trouble one time in high school that I feel bad about. I got during when I was like, I was on the wrestling team. And we got caught at a drinking party and I got suspended and I was like, good. And I was like, God damn it. If I, if that had not have happened, what could have been? Nothing, nothing different. I know. Right. That, that, that's, that's, but, a... how did, but you know how it defined me? It was like, look, I think it was Things like a, an early instance of like time short. You have only have so much time in high school. 
Don't think it's forever. Don't yeah. think anywhere you are. Like even at Conan, I'm like, this has been eight years, and who knows how long he's gonna do it. Like you just gotta enjoy the moments of the times you have there. Like when I got into high school and I had that moment, I'm like, this is gonna end soon. And when I got to college, I'm like, enjoy it, get the most out of it, because this is gonna end soon, and then the next stage starts. And that's just going to continue to happen time and time again in your life. So if you hate where you are right now, know that that's going to end. Right. If you love it, know that that might not be forever. Things are always going to change because time is, you know, it's going to keep going on with you or without you. Time is fleeting. Yeah. And I always say, and I talk about it in the book, I think of everything in terms of, because I'm a TV guy, a sitcom. I'm living in the MJ show and I can't be worried about my past seasons when I'm currently filming my current season. And I, I know, that. I know that my current season is going to be over and the next next seasons are coming up. So if and I don't like the storyline, it's going to change mm-hmm. whether I want it to or not. So just keep going. You're the, <laughs> yeah, you're the only audience. So yeah. you're not, if you're not happy with the ratings, that's right. on you. It, you it's know? on you. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, your, your favorite day or a day that would be perfect for you, would it be um, relaxing at a beach Hiking a mountain, exploring a city, or building a snowman? Oh, it, it'd be like, out of those examples, it'd be building a snowman. I love just work that, you know, like just raking leaves or gardening. That's why I love camping so you much. You are just, a Midwest boy. Yeah, what like, a Midwest boy answer. <laughs> I just love when my brain turns off and at the end of it, I'm like, I accomplished something, something. And you look at it and you're like, it's done. And Good answer. Good like, answer. So you it's like. It's just, it's it's my meditation. I think meditating is important. Um, but just to like turn your head off, your brain off and just be in the moment. I don't, th- I think yeah. when you're just doing something like that, you just become so in the moment. And, and then you still have that sense of accomplishment. At the end of it. Excellent. That's a perfect day. Good one. Yeah. Very good. All right. The last question and most important to my heart. What is your favorite theme song? Uh, cheers. Oh, it's classic. Yeah. It's, everybody knows your name. Everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You know, I, I don't think we've had this one so far, so I'm going to let it go. Um, if it's a, if it's a double, I, I apologize, everybody. But Cheers has a special place in my heart, too, because I owned a bar. And at the end of every night, the last when we had this um, piano player, my friend Ian, um, when he was finishing up, that everyone knew like last call was he would just go boom, dun, and he would start into that. And so, because I owned a bar, the the first chapter of my book is called Cheers after the oh, show. I love so it. this is a great one. So we are going to leave you guys with the theme song of Cheers. But before we go, Eric, how do people find you and follow along with you to see all the stuff you're doing? Uh, you can go to my website, which is uh, weloco.com, W-I-E-L-O-C com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Weloco. Also the same on Instagram. Um, check out my shows. And you're going to be touring, right? So you never know when uh, he might be hitting yeah, somewhere be in that you're at. Appleton, Wisconsin, in May. Um, then a few shows at Flappers and Burbank coming up. Uh, Claremont, and uh, I think I have one more in Ohio at the Funny Bone coming up. So all right, well. Keep an eye on where he's at, and if, uh, if he's coming to somewhere at your town, definitely and, um, pop in and see him. Hey, and, and reach out. I, I I respond to everybody. So all right. I well, like to, I like to open it up. If you have been some stuff. Feel free. You have been a pleasure, a great guest. Thank you so much. Thank and you for having me. This was this was uh, very cathartic and, and fun and um and great to just get out there. Well, I'm glad. What more could I ask for? You it's seem like you have a good doing. a good audience. So hey, we have the best audience. You know, so they're all people that just want to live good lives and be happy. So and that's what it's all about. All right. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> And if you enjoyed our podcast today, make sure to hit subscribe and rate, review us, and follow along on social media at LLTF the podcast.
I absolutely love getting to this podcast. It is so much fun and want to be able to continue doing it for a long time to come. But it takes a lot of time and money, and that's where you come in. If you think you'd like to donate, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash LLTFthepodcast, or you can donate via Venmo at LLTFthepodcast. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. No 